It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. All right, let's get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. It's no mystery. Utah is in an extreme drought. That is why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation smartly. Find out more at smartrain.net. Joining us now, of course, our good friend Chris Mannix. Uh, Chris, I know this is a bizarre way to start the conversation, but Gordon and I and and Austin as well got into kind of a tangent about how much we hated family pictures (laughs) and the whole process of taking family pictures. Do you have any uh, amusing stories about uh, catastrophes or anything with uh, involving family pictures? No, we, you know, I assume we uh, separate, you know, drunk wedding pictures. Like those are, <laughs> different. those are, you know, I, I got plenty of them from like a few weeks ago. I went to one and uh, that's a lot of it. But like, you know, traditional yeah. family pictures. Honestly, I don't, I don't have many. And I actually thought about this the other day. Like, you know, my, my parents are in their seventies. They're they're healthy, but like I, I remember thinking to myself, like you know, I should probably take more pictures with my parents in case, God forbid, something happens. You want to have stuff, uh, you know, available to you. So I, we we just weren't. Uh, my family was not a a big uh, picture family. We were kind of your traditional Boston Irish Catholic family that just kind of grunted at each other when we <laughs> wanted to show emotion. So it was uh, that's kind of the way it went. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. That is funny. All right, let's 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 talk a little hoops, Chris. It's been a, a pretty whirlwind win week around here with the changing uh, in the front office for the Utah Jazz. So what are your thoughts and uh, about the direction of the franchise? You know, not surprised at how it played out because, you know, you know look, it, it was never something that anyone was able to really report, but it was definitely in the water supply for several months that, Dennis Lindsay could be done in Utah. And, you know, look, when I, when I first heard it months and months ago, like it kind of takes you aback. Like, oh, this guy's had a lot of success there. Jazz was the number one seed in the Western Conference. So, you know, why would that be? But there were some, as we know, I thought Andy Larson did a really nice job with his piece there, kind of laying it out. Um, yeah, there were some issues there. with Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder and a new, new owner comes in. He wants to put his own uh, stamp on the team. What I had often heard, you know, and half of this has already come true in a way, what I often heard was when it came to executive movement this summer was Danny Ainge out in Boston, Danny Ainge doing something in Utah, Dennis Lindsay out in Utah, Dennis Lindsay doing something in Houston. Now, I think the Houston part is, is overplayed at this point. I, I don't think uh, Raphael Stone is going anywhere. and You know, Dennis isn't going to consult there, but that, that, you know, a year from now, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that is Dennis Lindsay's landing spot. We all know his connection to Texas, Baylor, all that, um, you know, so I wouldn't be surprised if if that happens, so I guess you know it, on the surface you're you know if you didn't kind of hear any of this stuff you're like wow that's that's kind of surprising but this was something that that people were talking about around the NBA for several months. I've always thought that smart people are going to disagree at times. You know, Chris. I mean, because if, if you're smart, you have a uh, your own brain and you have your own way of viewing things. How frequent is it that there is any kind of disconnect between a general manager or vice president operations, all that sort of thing, and the coach? Oh, I think it happens all the time. Um, it, it just depends on what you know level it graduates to. Does it get to the point where 
the two sides genuinely dislike each other and can't come to professional agree- disagreements, um, which I, I think is is probably closer to where it got to with with Quinn and with Dennis. But you know, I, I mean, I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with a coach who's been grumbled about his GM or a GM who's grumbled about something that his coach did. I mean, I, top of my head, I think of Masai Ujiri and Dwayne Casey. In, in Toronto, I mean, you know, it felt like for years Masai was waiting to, you know, to let go of Dwayne Casey. There used to be a joke that the press release was already written and then Dwayne would do something to save his job. Like you would, you know, get the team to the conference finals and he'd be around for another year or so. Um, you know, it, it just happens. Like, you know, I wouldn't say more often than not, but a lot of times you see coaches and GMs not on the same page with the talent that's being brought in, how that talent is being used. Um, it's just, you know, it, it takes uh, – You've got to kind of, you know, know, do what you do. Do what you do best. The GM brings in the players, and he's got to trust the coach to make the right decisions. The second that connection is lost, that's when things start to really go south. Chris, you covered Danny Ainge very closely there in Boston for a long time. Um, You think he resurfaces in Utah? I do. Um, I, I don't know what capacity it would be. I would assume it's in, at least at first, some kind of advisory role. Um, I think Danny was telling the truth at his press conference where he said, like, I'm just not looking to work very hard right now. Um, 18 years in Boston, two heart attacks. I mean, that's that takes a lot out of him. And he has had family members that have urged him to take a step back. I can't imagine a situation right away where he'd want to step in to be, you know, in charge of things and, and run basketball operations uh, there. So I, I – I, I think, I mean, this is more at this point connecting dots, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Danny surface in some kind of advisory role, uh, you know, with Ryan Smith, uh, with the Jazz. And then, you know, we'll see how this next year goes. Um, I think it's great that Justin Zanuck is getting a chance to, to really be the guy because I think he's earned that opportunity. I think he is an excellent basketball mind. Um, he has been a part of, as you guys know, most of the decisions that have been made uh, during this last 10 years, minus the few he was with. Milwaukee. So I think he's, you know, he's he's been responsible for much of the success the Jazz have had, and I think he deserves this chance. But you never know, like Danny, like you know, Danny can say what he wants about, like you know, I'm going to play golf, I'm going to do this. Danny's competitive. Like I, I can't see Danny walking off into the sunset and doing nothing for the rest of his career. The guy is one of the more competitive people I've ever been around, and I think after recharging the batteries for a little while. I think he'll want to get back into the mix. And, um, you know, the, the most likely landing spot uh, would seem to be Utah. What about Dennis Lindsay? He's, what is he, 52? I mean, he 52. seems like he's still got some gas in the tank. Uh, yeah, this, 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 is, this advisor thing is not going to last very long. I, I don't I, – I mean, to me, you know, this is more about Dennis Lindsay continuing to get paid. And I, I don't know. I don't, maybe Justin calls him. I mean, Justin, he and Justin still have a relationship. So, like – you know, maybe that's useful for Justin in situations, and Dennis has proven to be a pretty good judge of talent over the years. But he, he'll be back. Uh, I, I would, you know, I, again, I keep saying I'd be surprised, but it's kind of what you're basing a lot of this off of. But I, I think in a year you'll see Dennis Lindsay back running a team. I mean, his stock is is sky high. I mean, he's he put together the team that you know was the first overall seed. That if not for some injury issues, maybe they get to a conference finals. And God, this year is so messed up. Maybe they win a championship. So. Like, I, I think that, you know, there'll be, as, as openings start to emerge, and they will emerge in the coming years, uh, Dennis Lindsay will be a top candidate for every one of those openings. 
Do you buy into the uh, correlation? You you just mentioned the wild uh, situation here in the playoffs, and of course injuries are a big topic today with Giannis. Do you buy into the correlation of the unique season and the injuries now uh, happening? Well, selectively, right? Like, you know, James Harden's hamstring injury, Anthony Davis's hamstring injury, stuff like that, absolutely. But, you know, Giannis could have played five games. You know, Clint Capella comes crashing into your knee like that. You're going to have what happened there. Um, You know, same thing with Jamal Murray to a degree. Like, Jamal Murray tears his ACL. I mean, these these types of injuries, they're, you know, they they just happen. Same thing, Kawhi Leonard's had a knee problem his, entire well, the last five years at least and he was load managed throughout the course of this year that didn't have anything to do with um you know the shortened season so I, I think you know selectively you can point to examples you know most of the strains and muscle pulls and, and even like tears here and there that have happened you can say that has to do with the shortened season but everything else i mean i feel like it's it's just it's being too generalized like oh my god another injury as a result of the shortened season well i mean that was a pretty nasty hit that Giannis took from Capella, one of the worst falls I've seen in a while. Definitely the worst that apparently led to nothing significant anyway. Um, so I, I can't connect that and, and many of the injuries to the short season. So Chris, back to the uh, back to the management slash coach uh, relationship. Jake and I were talking about this earlier. What's the use of the regular season? Because a coach oftentimes wants to win games, right? And so he's going to. He's going to utilize those players that are going to help him get there. And then we were talking about what about when uh, a director of player personnel, the GM, whoever, drafts a player and the coach doesn't think that player is of that much use right now. But the, from the perspective of the front office, they want to see that guy get time so that he can develop. Where Where's that line? You know, it, a lot of it comes down to the relationship the GM and the coach has. They decide – you know, what that line is. I mean, as you're kind of speaking, I'm reminded of of Moneyball and how Billy Bean wanted things run a certain way. And then when Art Howe wouldn't do it, Billy just traded away other guys that Art Howe wanted to play. I guess (laughs) that's one way to do it. Like, so you can just move the guys, but it's a little harder to do in basketball. It's so few roster spots. Again, it comes to, it just comes down to the chemistry between a coach and a GM. Can you have a robust, maybe a little tense conversation about, the direction of the team, but ultimately the coach's call and, you know, coach can risk, you know, getting fired. We've seen that happen in the past in different situations, but he's the one that has to decide the direction of this team. And the GM, even if he believes something has to trust that he hired the right guy. It's like, it's sort of like a trickle down from like ownership, like owners, you know, can't, shouldn't meddle in personnel decisions. Trust the guy that you hired to do the job. GM, same thing. Trust the guy that you hired to the job. I mean, you clearly, you know, for the most part, you know, have a similar philosophy, at least believed in his philosophy when you hired him. So trust in that. Allow him to do his job. If not, you fire him and you find somebody that will do the job that you wanted to do. So more specifically, let's say it's going to cost you five games. You're going to have five more losses than you ordinarily would if you played, you know, your top eight guys or whatever. And there's a guy who you want to develop, but it's going to cost you those games. But he does emerge at the end of the season as being more useful in the playoffs. Is it worth it? And and then there's always the risk that you might play the guy and lose the games, and then he's not ready in the playoffs. Yeah, I, look, I, use for example Philadelphia, right? Like, I think Philadelphia would have sacrificed five games if it meant that Ben Simmons learned to shoot during the regular season. <laughs> like, if if they had told Ben, like, listen, and they should have done this. They've tried to do this in the past. 
said, Ben, you're not playing unless you shoot five threes a game. I don't care if you miss all five of them, but you have to shoot five threes. Because if you get a player into the habit of shooting threes, he's going to be more willing to do it when the playoffs come around. Ben shot 10 three-pointers during the regular season this year. Like He's never going to be open to shooting in the playoffs after having that type of regular season. I think everything just kind of has to be viewed through the lens of what's going to lead to better playoff success. That's the end game, right? You know, winning a championship. And if it means sacrificing wins to get young players developed, get them some trial by fire, uh, or in the case of Ben Simmons, get him shooting and missing three-pointers at an alarming rate, uh, you do it because that's going to make you a better team. So, Chris, I want to ask you about Portland, and I know you've had some reporting lately surrounding C.J. McCollum, but uh, just your thoughts on what's going on with them as a franchise overall, that Chauncey Billups introductory press conference might have been the most awkward introductory press conference I've ever seen. Well, I mean, if you could have scripted out exactly how not to do this, like that would have been it. Like that would have been, you know, having a vague statement from Chauncey, having – Neil O'Shea basically say, trust us, we did our due diligence, and then not opening it up to questions. I mean, I'm, I'm just glad. I, I mean, you know, if, I, if I got cut off by uh, a PR person, and look, it's not the PR person's fault. The PR person is getting a directive from the, the front office to, to do exactly that. But, yeah, if I got cut off, I'd be like, well, look, no disrespect. It's not you, know, you are not allowed to tell me what I can and can't ask. And, and what's crazy about that situation, guys, is that, like, you know, Chauncey's not new at this. Like, he's new at answering questions about this subject, but he's been around. Like, you know, he, he could have answered that question. In fact, it looked to me like he was ready to. Like, he was going to, to talk uh, and answer the question, which was a perfectly reasonable follow-up. I think it was, what did you learn uh, from that experience? Could you expand on that? Um, and to cut it off like that, it just it extends the story. I mean, all the coverage I've read in the aftermath has been, what a bad look for the Blazers, embarrassing, yada, yada. When, look, if you, if you let Chauncey answer, he's, it, it's not going to be, it's not going to go well for him. No, that's really going to go well for him, but it ends the story after like one day. And, and that's what you want. Like now it's kind of going to dog him around a little bit. People are going to be talking over days and weeks. And, you know, there's a distrust that's going to be fostered uh, towards the organization. I just, I don't really understand the thinking there. It's just, and I've asked different people around the league about this. I'm like, what am I missing here? Is that, is that not the wrong way to handle this? And, Everybody's agreed with me. Like, yeah, you, you got to let him kind of speak and, and get past it. Um, you know, he's not going to be, he's not going to come out of it looking good, but at the very least, you can end the story right there. Of course, this isn't a new phenomenon, but we certainly see it more in the NBA than we do, say, in the NFL, although right now we're seeing it in the NFL as well. A player under, a star under contract who wants to go somewhere else. We've heard whispers about uh, Damian Lillard. We've certainly seen it with, uh, with Aaron Rodgers, with the Packers. What do you make of, of players who sign big deals and then decide for one reason or another they want to go elsewhere? Well, I mean, you know, if nothing else, you've got to live up to your contract. I mean, you don't have to show up all smiles. Like, we're all human. We're going to have our feelings about certain things. But you've got to show up, work hard, and try to win every single night. I mean, that's what you're contractually – obligated to do. I mean, the little thing is just getting a little bit weird. Like I made this point on my podcast this week. He he just reminds me of a guy trying to break up with his girlfriend for the first time. Like it's, (laughs) he he wants to do it, but he has no idea how to do it. Right. Like it's just, you know, whether it's the cryptic Instagram posts or really kind of boxing the blazers in by saying he wanted Jason Kidd to be the coach to, you know, the, the Yahoo report, which, which obviously is connected to him. 
it's just not uh, it's kind of ham-handed sort of how it's been been handled there and then look i don't blame damian lillard for you know wanting a trade yeah it's you look at that team it's not a championship team it's not going to be a championship team over the next few years like there's there's almost no scenario you can see where that team because of the salaries and talent is going to be at a championship level during the dame's prime years And, and honestly like it's better for both sides if you trade him. Like if you're not going to win a championship, this, maybe it's a different approach for everybody. But I look at it and say, if you're not going to win a championship, what, what's the point? Like, is it really worth it to get to the first round and be done? Do you really want to be in that kind of purgatory where you're a playoff team but not a championship team? Like in Oklahoma City is a great example. Like they were proactive with Russell Westbrook and Paul George. You keep those two guys, you're probably a second round team every single year, but you're not a championship team. And you know, Oklahoma City made that calculation, traded them, and I think people in Oklahoma City are probably happy about it. You get Shea Gildas Alexander and nine thousand draft picks over the next six years, like you're in a pretty good position to rebuild. If you trade Damian Lillard, you're getting one of the biggest hauls in trade history. You're creating uh, a rebuilding uh, opportunity for you. Trade McCollum and you get another guy that you can you can add draft picks to. It, it'll lead to some bad seasons, but I don't know. I mean, if, if you're not going if, you, if you're happy just going to the first and second round, then by all means, keep Lillard, continue the way you're going. Maybe you get lucky and have one of those weird years like this one where, you know, everybody gets injured, you, you make a run uh, to the finals. But, uh, you know, otherwise, I, I don't really understand the thinking of, of not at least exploring the idea of trading him. You know, Jake, uh, Jake brought up the whole idea that maybe all those NFL owners are calling the Packers saying, don't you capitulate to what Aaron Rodgers is saying because – they don't want to face that same dilemma. Uh, and, and the NFL has been fairly ironclad in that way in the past, but we'll see how this one turns out. I think, you know what, like with superstar players that have given so much to their organization, I almost put them in a different category. Like, I don't like it when NFL players, like after year three, hold out or whatever it is. They do it a lot in the NFL. Like, they want to do contract. But the guy like Aaron Rodgers has given like two decades to the Packers. He wants to trade, like, you know, uh, you know maybe, maybe accept that. Maybe say, like, look, you know, he's given a lot to us. You know, we won a Super Bowl. Like, you know, he's been loyal to us throughout the years. Maybe you capitulate. Same thing with Damian Lillard. Like, he's done so much for the Portland community. He's done so much for the Blazers. Like, if, if he decides that at 31 years old, he wants a better chance to win a championship, go out and make a deal for Ben Simmons. Go out and make a deal for Jalen Brown and 900 picks. Like, do – you know, do what's right for both of you at this point and, and make everybody happy. Chris, thank you very much. As always, we appreciate you. You got it, guys. There's our friend Chris Mannix, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. Interesting stuff. <laughs> very interesting stuff. Yeah. I still think the NFL is probably leaning on Green Bay. I mean, maybe it's the right <laughs> thing to do. But they don't want to open the door. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think I don't think the Texans were going to give Deshaun Watson what he wanted either. Even that before all the oh yeah massage mess that that he's in now, I don't mm-hmm. think they were going to do it either. John Elway he threatened to go play baseball, and, and he had he to do that. To be drafted, he didn't want to be drafted by Baltimore, but he wasn't under contract. Yeah, yeah. And Eli, some, Eli and, Manning did the same thing, but yeah, they weren't under contract. And that bothered some people even more because who's this guy to be dictating his terms? And you know the funny thing about that? That happens so seldom in basketball. It's happened before. Like Kobe Bryant did yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. And Lonzo Ball kind of did it. Hmm. Both, interestingly enough, only wanting to go to the Lakers. But Elway to go play Major League Baseball? Uh, that, pff, come on. 
one of the all-time great quarterbacks. He didn't want to play in Baltimore. Wanted to play on the West Coast, and he ended up in Denver. It's in the West, anyway. Yeah. Worked out all right for him. I remember talking to John Elway when that was all going on, not after he was drafted, and he's in Denver. Were you guys at dinner? Uh, No, we were just... uh, Wait, you had in, to think about that. Have you gone to dinner with John Elway? No, no, we were. Well, we were in a. Oh, uh, let me think. No, it was drinks actually. No, we were at on a, the yacht. We were in a room where food was available, and uh, he was no, <laughs> and he was uh, telling all kinds of stories about all the furor, all the hubbub about him coming to Denver. People were. Following him when he went to get his hair cut and all that sort of thing. Let me see. All right, uh, we'll have that's more. Not, com- wait, wait, that's not interesting to you. Um, were there chicken wings in the room? You were kind of swatting to the side. No, no, no. I just thought it was a good place to okay. finish the conversation. I, I don't automatically have to one up you, you know. And <laughs> when we're over and you uh, ignored the extraordinarily dirty look that Austin was giving you, I thought, you know what? This is probably a pretty good time to go to break. Oh, well, I've become so accustomed to that dirty look that I just sort of think that's his natural yeah. expression. Yeah, I know. All right, stay tuned. More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.